Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 217 of Allied Strategies. My name is Tristan. Joining me, as always, is my friend, Sam. Hello. And my friend, Benjamin. Hello. And joining us this week, good friend of the podcast, Caroline. Hello. This week, we are going to talk about Pioneer, a format which uh, Sam and Caroline, I'd say, have the, the lion's share of the podcast experience on right now. What? Um, and I think it's just true that you have the reverse lion's share. Right. I, what is that, like the squirrel share? <laughs> uh, well, squirrels exist, and I my existence with Pioneer no. is close to, close to non-existent um, experience with it. So. Well, who gets the lowest share of animals? Well, I think squirrels actually have like a, a, a fairly large like warehouse of things, right? Don't they store food for like winter? They like bury it underground or something? Yeah, that's a good point. So it's like the... The single-celled organisms share... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Single cell organisms like describes a lot of things about you, such as your brain. So I feel like that that makes sense. All right. yeah, I often try to think of Tristan in very bacteria like terms. <laughs> he has multiple times been described as a psychic virus by a person who is not on this podcast. So in the way that like my my silly terminology spreads. All I you've just been described as a psychic virus. That is. That is the full text of what I'm giving you. Okay, well, I'm choosing to interpret it that way. Anyways, uh, let's let's spend a brief amount of time introducing our, our guests this week, Caroline. Uh, Caroline, what, what is your magic history? Um, well, I, I like to play it. <laughs> I've been playing since Theros, so I couldn't tell you how long ago that was. Six years? Yes, yeah, same here. It's, it's I I think don't it was know. 2014, <laughs> I want to say. So uh, you're magic buddies. True. Wait, that's when you started? Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to play a lot of Grand Prix, but mostly to hang out with friends, and then Magic is secondary. And of the Magic formats, which would you say are the, are the ones that you have the most like experience and knowledge in? I guess that would be Modern, but it would be in a very specific deck. One that is often hated, and I usually don't bring it up. <laughs> is it that <laughs> that's really at the point we're at now people hate tron so much that they're so Benjamin, much. you can't say that on the podcast <laughs> can't no say- every time i bring up tron everyone's like boo tron very sad yeah there, there's a it's one of the things that's okay to like hate with vitriol on the internet and people channel all their hatred into those few categories of things that are okay to hate loudly and publicly and tron is definitely one of those things Okay, um, so with that out of the way, let's thank our illustrious friends and good friends of the podcast over at Patreon.com before we continue with the rest of the show. The illustrious friends are Kiki Jiki, Winchester, Kyle, and Hot Soup. And our good friends of the podcast are Adam, Matt, Britton, Kyle, Zax, Eric, Sam, Duncan, Baptiste, Wilson, Tobias, Paul, Ryan, Jarvis, Cordial, you, Booster Therapy, Tim the Mug Giver, Greg, Ari, Caroline, Phil, and Will. Thanks for your support. Moving on you to still our... still screwed it up. It's your last name. What? Is that how it's supposed to work? <laughs> yeah, I feel like shouldn't... I Well, he shouldn't didn't say Caroline to use her... right after Ari, and then you have to say Kavanaugh? No, he, he didn't say to use his last name. He said to replace it with Zach's. So that's what oh, I did okay. to Caroline's name. That's uh, true. No, I liked it. I liked it. Yeah, it, I, I think it worked. It worked pretty well. Anyways, um... <laughs> I have no idea how I'm going to edit this so that it's not completely incomprehensible to people who don't know all the inside jokes occurring here, but let's move on to our Patreon question of the week. 
Um, which does come from the same Ari who uh, caused some shenanigans to happen in that good friend reading. Uh, Tristan and Sam, do you have practical tips for how to maximize Oko? I'm thinking about playing him in Modern, and with access to three abilities per turn, there are a lot of options. What did you learn from playing with him? Uh, Sam, I'll let you field this one first. Yeah, Oko is actually a pretty difficult Planeswalker to use, I think. Um, Kind of the heuristic that I've developed is whenever you have a good swap, go for it. Like, whenever you have a relatively high-value swap that doesn't threaten Oko's life. Um, So I think that's, like, one thing that's pretty good to do. Also, knowing all the silly modern interactions with Oko, like, for example... If you plus Oko on a Mycosynth Lattice, you don't really accomplish anything as far as stopping the Mycosynth Lattice from working. Uh, same goes for a Magus of the Moon. If, you, you know, if you're being locked out by a Magus of the Moon and you plus Oko on it, you're not actually doing anything. So uh, I would try to learn all those interactions. And then, uh, yeah, I don't know. Oko's a really tough Planeswalker because it has so many abilities that you so often have access to. Um, I guess my, yeah, my general heuristic is... Priority one is making sure Oko doesn't just die. Priority two is swapping if possible. And priority three is turning random garbagey things into three threes, assuming that I have good attacks with the three three. Yeah, it's a little different. Like in, in standard, I'd say plus on your opponent's stuff was the big mode on it. And it, I think in modern, that mode is a little bit... I mean, obviously, it's still very, very good. But uh, I'd say a lot of the other uses of Oko are, are maybe more of uh, brought to the forefront. Yeah, and there and there are just some people who are not really trying to interact on the board. So just making like a three three every turn is a is a actually pretty good clock against them, and the other modes don't really come up as much. Now, when Ari asked this question, he didn't know that Caroline would be on the show, of course. So Caroline, I assume that uh, as a you know a skilled modern player, you would also maybe potentially be interested in answering this one. Um, so any any thoughts about using Oko in modern? Um. Well, I think it's gonna. It's pretty good in modern. It can take care of so many problematic things. But I think what Sam said is pretty good, and and I appreciate you adding me to the skilled modern players. It does seem like we're leaving someone out, but I can't really think of who that could be. Let's move on to our card of the week segment. Um, Benjamin, what is your card of the week? My card of the week is Once Upon a Time. Once Upon a Time is an instant for one in a green mana. If it's at the, if you haven't cast a spell yet this game, you can cast it for zero. And let's look at the top five cards of your library, reveal a creature or land from among them, and put it into your hand. Um, I believe that this card is not going to get banned in Pioneer. I think it's going to be legal in Pioneer for the Pro Tour. And the reason I think that... Alright, put your tinfoil hats on. But I think that the only reason Wizards of the Coast banned Once Upon a Time in Standard is because they had Modern to fall back on. Or, sorry, uh, Pioneer to fall back on in order to... Uh, boost the sales of the standard set. I don't. I don't often go into conspiracy theories about Wizards of the Coast, but this is the. This is a personal fact that I believe that uh, you know they they could only ban Once Upon a Time in Standard. They could only save Standard at the cost of making Pioneer a slightly you know worse place. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you. Actually, like I think a big part of the reason that they felt comfortable banning Oko and and once upon a time in standard, I think I think it applies to both. Is that they knew they had this additional format where they were going to see a ton of play and still be completely busted. I actually played against in Pioneer a mono black aggro deck that was splashing for once upon a time, 
which seemed insane to me because I think that card's a lot better when your cards have more of a range of power. Like, that deck doesn't really care which one drop it plays as long as it plays one. So having Once Upon a Time to find, like, a specific one isn't that good. But this just shows the power of the card that people are considering doing that. Yeah, and it's, it's really tough to prove that those things are wrong. Like, it, you know, it can feel wrong, but Once Upon a Time's power level is insidious and, and tough to tough to note in any given game. So uh, that's those are the kind of moves that I suspect may end up being actually closer to correct than one would expect. Sam, what is your card of the week? My card of the week is The Eldest Reborn. Uh, it's a five-mana saga from Dominaria. Uh, it's first chapter. It has three chapters i guess that's i think that's now not a given for all sagas but this one has three um it has the first chapter is each opponent sacrifices a creature or planeswalker the second chapter is each opponent discards a card and the third chapter is put target creature or planeswalker card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control and i picked this card um you know just to sort of shine some light on the word eldest which means of the group of associated or otherwise related people of the greatest age or the oldest. So, you know, just who do you think the eldest is on this podcast, for example? Uh, in fact, I have 100% certainty as to who it is, uh, given that you've selected it this week as your card of the Caroline, week. Caroline, do you have any idea who it might be? No, I have no idea. This Can seems pretty freaking card of the week? to me. I don't know, man. What was that, Ben? This seems pretty freaking rude to me. It's one thing to out someone for, as playing Tron on the podcast. It's, it seems like another thing entirely to out them as an eldest. What if I told you that I was being headbutt the entire time I was reading the definition of the word eldest? I would believe you. <laughs> yeah, it's true. All right, my card of the week is Elvish Pioneer. Elvish Pioneer is one of four pioneers that have ever been printed. Uh, it's a single green for a 1-1, and when it enters the battlefield, you may put a basic land card from your hand onto the battlefield tapped. Uh, which is an ability that we've you know we've seen recently in Arboreal Grazer and, and other su- similar cards uh, as a powerful thing that you can be doing. But also notably, this is the only pioneer that does not create tokens. Uh, Aviation Pioneer, Jungleborn Pioneer, and Propeller Pioneer all make tokens, so that's a fun uh, thing. Anyways, uh, this has been like my comprehensive Pioneer card of the week. I, I hope does this... it have the creature type Pioneer? Uh, indeed, it does not. No, the, the pioneers are two artificers, a scout, and a druid. Um, which is interesting. You'd expect scouts to be the more, you know, pioneer-related uh, card type. Well, I the guess... artificers are scientific pioneers. Yeah, they're they're pioneering, just not in a explore, yeah. like not exploring physical land. And Elv- elvish pioneer is in fact a druid, which you know that that one in particular. I mean, I guess there are druid synergies that were maybe around at the time or something. I don't remember. Yeah, it's that one feels card. good to me. Caroline, um, save us, please. Yeah, Caroline, what is your card of the week? Well, my card of the week is Boreal Grazer. It costs a green. It is an O3 creature beast, not a sloth, which I'm upset about. Uh, it has reach, and when it enters the battlefield, it does something very similar to your card of the week, and it puts a land from your hand into the battlefield tapped. Well, notably any land, not just a basic like Elvish Pioneer. Oh. So that's actually a pretty huge difference, oh. I think, in terms of playability. There's so many huge differences. Mine has reach and is, has a bigger butt. But it's a slot. Is a much Mostly slower clock. Wins the game never, unlike Elvish Pioneer, just twenty short turns away from victory. 
Well, also, Whoa. Elf is, like, a pretty loaded creature type, and Arboreal Grazer isn't even good with most of the beast payoffs. Like, it doesn't work with Contestant Clips very well at all. Exactly. But it turns life. into an elk quite nicely. That is true. That is true. Do you think, do you think in 2024, Allied Strategies is just going to be 95% card of the week? <laughs> I, 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 it feels like we're running out of cards of the week, but honestly, they print them faster than we can pick them for card of the week, so we'll never actually run out. But we've certainly run out of all the good ones. Um, for for some reason, when I listen to this podcast, I really enjoy when these segments go astray. But sitting here, I'm like, wow, this is painful. <laughs> yeah, yes, that. Yes, yeah, so you figured it out. The secret reason is that we all hate ourselves, and that's why we keep doing this week after week. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's move on to our main topic. Let's let's take take me out of here. Uh, get get me to our main topic, which is Pioneer. Uh, and Sam, as our. Uh, I don't really know. Sam, you're going to be in charge of, of doing the pioneer leading of the topic. So um, I would like go. to request that you don't re- make any more elder jokes. Hmm. We'll see. <laughs> the Eldest Reborn does not feature prominently in Pioneer yet. So, uh, yeah, I've played a decent amount of Pioneer. I actually played two Pioneer events this weekend. I played the Pioneer Mocks, where I had the maximum pain of starting 0-2. You have to go 6-2 in the event to, to like win. And uh, I started O2. I ended up uh, going five O from there, so I'm playing a win in to you know to, to basically win the event. Like everyone who goes six two basically wins, and I ended up losing that one very badly to a very bad matchup. So that was uh, that was brutal. Um, and then I also played the Pioneer Challenge where I got mushed pretty quickly, so I, I didn't play for that long. And I've, I've been playing some Pioneer leagues as well, so I feel like I have a good. Uh, a good handle on the format and sort of the pillars of the format, I would say. That's how I'm going to frame this as sort of the main important cards in the format and what what that consequently looks like and how maybe you should uh, select your spot for the upcoming Pioneer PTQs. That are, that, that are, there's one, one run running every day on Moto. It sounds like you're going to be teaching players what not to do. Well, I also have I five owed in my last Pioneer League, so maybe I'm doing something right. Yeah, yeah. It's okay, Ben. I did. I came ninth in the challenge, so Whew. I oh, can add some. Yikes! Ninth. Oh, it was a clean cut. It's okay. Oh, okay. Um, okay, yeah. So we'll we'll address this format through the looking at the pillars of the format. That's the that's the way we'll go through these decks and cards. But uh, let me just start off by saying that if you're wondering why this podcast was in your feed earlier than usual i should i should imagine this at the top of the show uh, we're trying to we're going to get this one out a couple days early so that you can listen to it and have that if you're playing the ptqs this week because if we really set our normal time they would be mostly done um consider so, it our thanksgiving gift to you yes ab- indeed um <laughs> okay so uh first pillar of the format format listed here is thought sees aggro uh what is this deck sam so this is uh, mono black, mono black aggro. Sometimes there's red black, um, but mostly I think mono black is the main one. And it's typically a, a shell of Thoughtseize, Smuggler's Copter, uh, and Scrap Heap Scrounger. I think are sort of the three big cards. And then uh, if you're splashing other colors, maybe you don't see quite the same other creatures. But the mono black one usually plays Night Market Lookout. Um, the Bloodstained, blood-soaked, or blood-stained champion? Oh, blood-soaked champion, yeah. Blood-soaked champion. Knight of the Ebon Legion. And Knight of the Ebon Legion. Um, and then, yeah, so and Fatal Push. So 
You're looking, you know, you're a disruptive aggro deck with really resilient threats. You know, Smuggler's Copter, not killable by Sorcery Speed Removal. The Scrap Heap Scrounger and Bloodsoak Champion, really hard to kill, period. Um, also work really well with Smuggler's Copter. You can loot them away. And so you just try to disrupt, beat down. And I think one of the keys, actually, to this deck is Castle Lockthwain, because the deck is so cheap and so good at emptying their hand that they just can jam Castle Lockthwain activations, you know, as soon as they get to empty. And that card is really, really powerful. Like, three mana and tap to draw a card is a very, very, very cheap rate. So they have a lot of longevity going, you know, they, they can play long games, they can win short games because they're fast and low to the ground. And uh, I think I think this is one of the front runners for the best deck in the format. They also have Mutavault. Yeah, they, they get to, they just get to play a host of incredible lands. Mutavault, Mutavault, Castle Lockthwain, uh, sometimes like Field of the Field of Ruin or whatever if you need it. There's no Erebos, right? I haven't seen Erebos. They, they typically, you know, Smuggler's Copter and uh, Scrap Heap Scrounder don't add a lot of devotion, so yeah. It's not. There, yeah, they usually don't go that big. Rankle is usually their like top end threat. I love Rankle. Yeah, and again, Rankle works really well with Scrounger and uh, Bloodsoaked Champion. And so you're describing this as potentially the best deck in the format. Is is this the one that you've been playing the most, or if not, uh, which one have you most mm-hmm. been playing? No, I've mostly been playing Field of the Dead, um, which I think is another con- strong contender for best deck in the format. Um, but this one was the most successful, and I think it won the Star City Invitational, but it was a, it had the most seven ones in the Invitational. It was very, very successful there. I think people have begun to adapt a little bit, and that's what I was going to talk about next, or some of the ways to attack this deck. Um, so some of the things this deck is, is, are great against are combo decks, because it has Thoughtseize and a Fast Clock. Um, control decks, same reason, you know, Resilient Threat, Thoughtseize, Fast Clock. Uh, so, but some of the ways to attack it are using strong exiling removal, cards that are difficult to Thoughtseize, such as lands like Field of the Dead. Um, Legion's End is a particularly effective removal spell. I found Abrupt Decay to be very, very good because it lets you kill kill Smuggler's Copter regardless of if they crew it or not. You know, sometimes a Wily player just won't crew a Smuggler's Copter into a removal spell, but... You can just Abrupt Decay it anyway. I think Abrupt Decay is one of the best removal spells in the format. Um, Except for Mutavault. Yes, it does not kill Mutavault. Very, I, very relevant to note. I did learn that. Um, <laughs> I knew it. But yeah, I think... And then uh, larger permanents like Planeswalkers can be good, although the deck does play a bunch of Murderous Riders. Um, I think people have generally caught on that Murderous Rider is one of the best removal spells for Mono Black, much better than Hero's Downfall, because you just don't mind losing two life to get a free to draw a three mana uh two three life length it's just a pretty good exchange so it's tough to attack but i think those are the sort of angles that work best against it um enchantments and artifacts are also really good if they generate value over time i haven't really found any of those that are particularly good but that's another possible angle of attack you know if someone were to be working on a deck Okay, yeah, and, and would you say like a just kind of a general anti-thoughtsease strategy of having most of your cards be pretty interchangeable is also a good way to attack this, or uh, is that not really something that you see Pioneer decks generally doing outside of maybe this one? Uh, no, I think I think that's a reasonable way to do it. I think the I think the next category we'll get to is a really effective way to do that. Okay, uh, let's move on to that next category then. Field of the Dead Control, which you said is the the deck you've been playing. 
um, what are the different versions this deck can take? So I've seen a couple different takes on this. Uh, I would say the default stock version is green-black, and that's like an interaction-heavy, so Thought Seize, Fatal Push, Abrupt Decay. Um, I was playing even like Vraska's Contempt, so you know, really going all the way up on the removal. Um, then Hour of Promise is sort of your big finisher card that you know you, you play it, you can search up a bunch of different utility lands. Typically, you have obviously you have four Field of the Dead, so that's that's the marquee card, but then you also have uh, access to Westvale Abbey, which has really impressed me in this kind of strategy. Um, you know, you just end up with so many zombies that getting a 9-7 lifelink is huge. And uh, you, you don't really care about most of the ways that people interact with Westvale Abbey. You know, if they play a Teferi and bounce it, bounce your Ormondal, normally that's like, oh, that's a disaster. But now it's just like, all right, play next turn I'll play Westvale Abbey, get three more zombies, and then sack it immediately. And it's, you just don't care. Um, so you're really good against things that are interacting in that way. You also get to play with uh, Castle Lockthwain, I think, is really, really good in this deck as well. You know, that, my usual tutor priority goes, make sure I have at least one Field of the Dead. Once I do, if I can trigger them, get more Fields of the Dead. Otherwise, Westvale Abbey. Otherwise, Castle Lockthwain. Um, and then the, the way that the duels are set up in the format, it's just not that costly to play, you know, one Lanoraist, one Overgrown Tomb, one Hissing Quagmire, one Blossom Blooming Marsh. Like, sure, maybe one of them is better, you know, Maybe Overgrown Tomb is the best, but it's not by so much that you're paying like huge costs to do that. So you get to play a nice diversity of lands. Um, and yeah, then, then Tireless Tracker also helps tie the room together as just a very powerful threat that you get to play. So that's sort of the green-black version. You don't have to play Golgari Guildgate, do you? No. I, I, I believe you can easily play zero Golgari Guildgates. Or like Jungle um, Hollow. No, I, I don't think you need to play any of those. Like, you have Temple of Malady. The, the good green-black duels are Temple of Malady, Blooming Marsh, Overgrown Tomb, Woodland Cemetery, Lanor Waste, and Hissing Quagmire. And that's just... I think that's just enough that you're that you're doing fine. And don't worry, we're playing Crumbling Vestige as well. <laughs> yeah, 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 Crumbling Vestige is a cute way to get mana out of uh, Hour of Promise if you need it. You know, if you're tapping out on turn five and you also want to play a Thought Seize or a Fatal Push or a Gilded Goose or whatever. That's cute. Ooh, that is really cool. Do yeah. You, do you think this black-green deck has a good matchup against the mono-black deck? Yes, my experience has been that that matchup is quite good. You are pretty effective at curbing their early game, and then you go so far over the top of their resilient, you know, their creatures that keep coming back that you just get to a point where you can completely ignore Scrap Heap Scrounger and Bloodsoak Champion. Yeah, no one's ever, no one's going to beat five zombies a turn by bringing back Scrap Heap Scrounger. Right, exactly. Well, Smuggler's Copter is hard if they get it. Like, it's hard to beat if they just leave it unchecked, or if we leave it yeah, unchecked. Yeah, Smuggler, Smuggler's Copter and Rankle are their best cards, but you have a ton of removal, so you're pretty good at getting those out of the way. So would you say, um, is this green-black version the one that you've most been playing, or are there other... That's, yeah, that's the one that I've been playing, and I would say is sort of the default... If, if you told someone, oh, I'm playing Field of the Dead in Pioneer, that's what they would think you mean. But I've also seen a handful of other versions. Um, they basically all have green. I think Hour of Promise is a, a common card that's shared among all of them. Um, but then there's 
Bant, where the car, you know you pick up some big cards and some sweepers, so you get like Supreme Verdict, Sphinx's Revelation, uh, Hydroid Crisis if you want it, all sorts of things like that. Um, these decks have looked to me like they should be favored in the mirror on paper, and then I keep beating them, which implies to me that they just might not be built quite right. Like I keep winning with Ormondal and stuff, and it seems like they should have Ormondals of their own to go get. Um, so. I think Bant might be a place to look for Mirror Breakers, although you can also, I think, build Caroline Lost to a very interesting-looking mono-green version of this deck in the playing for top eight of her, of the mocks. Um, you want to talk about... Or not of the mocks, of the Pioneer Challenge. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it was weird that we were playing against a mono-green field. Like, there was at one point we Field of Ruin them, and they got, like, a second or third forest, and I was like, wow, they're just so far off from Field of the Dead. But... They actually weren't. Like, it was kind of crazy just how many different green slash colorless sources they had in their deck. And they also played Golos, but to activate it, they played... What was the land? Cascading Cataracts. Yeah, it's also indestructible. I was so upset. (laughs) Why is that card indestructible? Nobody knows. Um, It's literally a mystery. (laughs) And it was very interesting because they are doing similar things. They have the best card in Standard, which is, sorry, in Pioneer, which is a Boreal Grazer. Um, But they go so much bigger than the green-black deck because they have four Ugins in their deck, two Ulamogs. Um, They also, in the sideboard, brought in Oblivion Sower, which was a beating. So they just kind of just Tron in Pioneer, huh? I know. Excuse I was so me. upset I wasn't playing that deck. So yeah, my guess with this deck is that there's not really a great reason to actually be mono green. Like it does look like you are favored against green black, but green black can just adopt any number of Ugins or Golos or Ulamogs. You know, all all of these these the like good busted mirror breakers don't really seem important to be mono green to me. Um, I really do like the idea of playing with. Uh, Oblivion Sower. That card sounds like a fantastic mirror breaker, and I think the mirror is is and should be more and more of a concern as we move forward in the format until things change. Right, so speaking of things changing, we, we know there will still be like weekly banned and restricted updates, right? Um, this, this Monday has come and gone without one, but I would kind of be surprised after playing a couple Field of the Dead mirrors. They go really long often because, you know, everyone's just making a million zombies back and forth and the games get complicated. I would kind of be surprised if by the time the player's tour rolls around, uh, Field of the Dead were still legal. Okay, so Oblivion certainly worth it. one of my yeah. favorite cards. I'm very excited now. Oblivion Sower is? Yeah. yeah. I love Oblivion Sower. I think that card's awesome. That, that's the that's uh, that's not World Breaker, right? It's the... What does Oblivion Sower no, do? It's the 6-mana 5-8 that when you cast it, target opponent exiles the top four cards of their library, and then you put any number of land cards that player owns from exile onto the battlefield under your control. Okay, how about Worldbreaker? Is Worldbreaker a reasonable consideration? I was going to say, Worldbreaker is in this sideboard as well. I forgot to mention it. That's how they exile the lands, and that's how they got my field in the first place. Okay, yeah. That was that was what I thought we were talking about when we were talking about Oblivion Sower for a while, so... <laughs> um, but then I realized it was a different name. Okay. Yeah, they're a good one-two punch with each other as well. And also, Oblivion Sower is a nice way to answer... Or, sorry, uh, Worldbreaker is a nice way to answer Smuggler's Copter, actually, because it can hit artifacts, so... Mm-hmm. It can also well, And it has reach. Yeah. So it just does it all. Du- doubly answers <laughs> it. Uh, okay, so if Field of the Dead were to be something that we were not considering for 
you know, whatever reason. Uh, well, first off, what are, what are some of the things that are good against Field of the Dead, Sam? So I think some of the things that are good are I, I've lost two illness in the – or not illness in the ranks, uh, the bigger illness in the ranks, the three-mana one. Yeah, the one where they get minus two, minus two. Yeah, something contagion. It's a three-mana black enchantment that – black and two – to- creature tokens get minus two, minus two. That card is pretty effective against uh, Field of the Dead, obviously. You did lose to that. that I was, did. That was yeah. funny. It was good. Don't I laughed. Like in your deck, though? Like, that doesn't really seem reliable. He lost on the yeah. spot. <laughs> well, I died immediately, but I think that is like, yeah, I mean, this deck is tough. The green-black version is very tough to attack. They have Abrupt Decay, Thoughtseize, so, you know, your your answers have to be sort of at a systemic level because they're any any individual card is plausible to get picked apart. Um, but I think you know uh, unmoored ego is a reasonable solution. Um, Ashiok I think is quite strong. It stop you know stops hour of promise and some other searching functions. Um, but I, yeah, I think I think that's one of the things is that this, these decks are pretty tough to attack right now. You know, you can play Field of Ruin. Like I think if I were playing a control deck, I would want to make sure that I had access to a lot of copies of Field of Ruin. Um, but I think the, I think part of what makes these decks so good is that they are very resilient and uh, there's not a lot of great answers. So if you if you are planning on playing Pioneer in the next week, I think you should. This this would be. This and Mono Black would be the number one and number two threats that I would be looking to uh, looking to answer, making sure I had good matchups against. Okay, so uh, with those out of the way, you know, decks that are potentially among the most likely to be trimmed down a little bit in future banner restricted updates. Let's talk about some of the other pillars of the format that are uh, perhaps you know a, a cut below. Um, so starting off, one of the things that is true about Pioneer is that there are a lot of mana dorks that you can play. Elvish Mystic and Lanor Elves, uh, chief among them. So uh, this strategy has already been hit with a couple nerfs, I think. Um, or at least one nerf, right? But is still... Oh, uh, no, they, they, they got them a lot. They got Oath of Nyssa. Oh, right, yeah. And Leyline of Oath Abundance, of Nyssa right? and uh, Veil of Summer. And the Leyline. Yeah. And, the, and the Green Leyline, yeah. Okay, yeah. So many, many nerfs have hit this strategy. Um, but it's still out there kicking. Uh, and there are kind of a couple different builds of it. Uh, first one we'll talk about is Green Devotion. So Sam, what, what's going on with this deck? Uh, so yeah, this is eight eight Lanor Elves. You know, Lanor Elves, Elvish Mystic, um, Burning Tree Emissary, and then sort of they're a little more aggressively slanted than you might expect. Um, they're they play Vivian Arcbow Ranger, which uh, is triple green pip, and you know adds plus one plus one counters to creatures so that can get out of control pretty quickly as far as attacking goes uh then walking ballista is one of their big expel payoffs and they use vivian to search out sideboarded cards like ulamog um to try to you know close out the game after they've generated a ton of mana burning tree emissary is obviously in the mix um and they you know they're, they're just uh they go really big but they also try to beat you down and end the game pretty quickly and I think Sam Black actually described it really well. He said that most ramp decks, you are trying to hit certain amounts of mana on certain turns. Like, you know, with a Primeval Titan deck, you're usually trying to cast a turn three or four Primeval Titan, and you are very specifically trying to build your deck to get to six mana as quickly as possible. These Devotion decks are not doing that. They're just trying to generate a lot of mana 
And so they are they want their payoffs to be more flexible. They want to be playing with walking ballistas, hydroid crisis, things like that to so that no matter how much mana they have, they can spend all of it even if they aren't getting you know like even if Ulamog at exactly 10 might be better than walking ballista for x equals 5 um you want to have the flexibility of sometimes being able to cast the ballista for 4 or sometimes being able to cast it for 14 so that's sort of the the way that the green devotion deck is built and i think to attack it you just want ways to break up their synergies so spot removal um thought seizes is very good you know cards like that what happens if you just overload on cards to kill uh, mana dorks? Is that a reasonable like thing to do against the stack? Should you just board in every shock and dual shot and disfigure and like those sorts of cards that you possibly can? I mean, I think you ri- you run some risk of losing to their planeswalkers. They play they play like I said they play Vivian and then they also typically play Nissa, who shakes the world. So that's a lot of a lot of beef in the planeswalker department. Um, so, you know, if you're just all shocks, you might, you, you could easily end up losing to that. But I think that is definitely a part of a successful strategy. Anything else that uh, anybody's noticed, Caroline? Any, any thoughts about attacking Green Devotion or playing against it or anything like that? Uh, I haven't actually had a chance to play against it. I played it mostly against Mono Black, to be honest. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I, I think, I think Green Devotion is a bit on the downswing from, uh, from where it, was, it once was. I also haven't played against any Green Devotion, and Sam, and yet Sam keeps telling me that my deck is horrible because it's bad against Walking Ballista. <laughs> okay, let's talk about a, a variant of this uh, strategy, the Hardened Scales deck, which uh, Hardy C, as uh, many may know it, uh, in other formats. What is Hardy C up to in, in this format, Sam? Uh, kind of the same stuff for the most part. It just has adopted Mana Dorks and doesn't have... It doesn't have the same need for artifacts that the other version had. It doesn't have Ravager. Uh, it sometimes has Steel Overseer, but it doesn't have uh, Ancient Stirrings. So, you know, a lot of your payoffs for being mono artifacts are taken away. So you're more willing to play cards like Yorvo or um, Voracious Hydra, which is actually... Voracious Hydra is crazy with hardened scales. Do you know how that works? Uh... Um, it will... I assume that it do- like it uh, it gets an extra counter and then it doubles right and then it gets another extra counter from the doubling. Yes, yeah, so right. you cast so it for one GG. Play, play a voracious hydra for X equals one. How much? How big do you think it is when you double five. it? Five, five, yeah, five, six. Yeah, that that is correct. Which is pretty nuts. Like a three mana five six trample is is pretty crazy. Um, so you know it uses cards like that. It still uses uh, Vivian Arcbow Ranger. Because that card, you know, distributes plus one plus one counters and is pretty potent when combined with Walking Ballista. Um, I think this trip. one is attacked in a similar way, although here I think spot removal is even more effective because they're a little more Planeswalker light. Um, you, but you do have to have a plan for Hangerback if that's going to be your primary game plan. Okay, the next pillar of the format on our list here is combo and you know we, we only have a couple decks that we're going to talk about in particular but there are a bunch of of course combo decks that potentially exist in the pioneer space um we're not we're not going to get to all of them uh and i think that like modern there's always a possibility that there are some really really good combo deck out there that is not yet uh discovered or yeah, do you, th- would you guys dispute that agreement or i think 
Pioneer is going to be like Modern, where there's like a deck that plays all horrible cards, but somehow just combine really well together or are like very powerful for their format, and then that deck will be good. I think like when you increase the card pool so much, like that that sort of thing interaction is just inevitable. Yeah, I think graveyard the graveyard space is where I would be looking for that kind of undiscovered gem. Okay, so speaking of uh, you know combo decks, Ben, we have a, li- a deck listed on this list called Ben's Stupid Deck. Uh, so I assume that you've been <laughs> playing some kind of combo strategy. Sam is calling me out here. Um, yeah, I, I've been playing an Indomitable Creativity deck. Now, Indomitable Creativity, for those who don't remember what this card does, which probably very few people do, it costs red, red, red X. Destroy up to X target uh, creatures or artifacts. For each uh, permanent destroyed this way, its controller reveals cards from the top of their library until they reveal an artifact or creature card, For uh, and then they put those cards onto the battlefield. So... In my deck, I have a bunch of cards that create tokens. So, like, Raise the Alarm and a Hordling Outburst. And then I Indomitable Creativity them into Emrakul and Xenagos. And then Xenagos gives Emrakul plus 13, plus 13 in haste. And Emrakul has Trample and also Protection from Instance. And then Emrakul, you know, attacks my opponent in the face. So it's basically Pioneer Splinter Twin. Five mana if you have two... Um, tokens in play, you get to do the thing. And if they kill a token in response, you still have a 50-50 chance of getting an Emrakul. Or a uh, completely useless Xenagos. <laughs> yes, you also... Well, but that's that's the worst case, right? Um, I like it. So yeah, I've played five matches of Modern with this deck, and I went four and one. Wow. How, how about Pioneer, though? <laughs> how did you Pioneer? Sorry, sorry, sorry. I actually, I actually have played a non-zero number of Modern matches with double... <laughs> That, that's why I came up with the deck because it was too bad for modern. But in Pioneer, there's a chance. Uh, I went four and one in matches of Pioneer with this deck. Um, I defeated Mono Red twice and some Field of the Dead decks twice. So, or sorry, I lost to Mono Red once and I beat uh, some. I don't remember, whatever. But anyway, it's really cool and I think potentially, um, you know, powerful because five mana win the game is not that good in modern. But in Pioneer, I think it's a different story, and there's just a lot worse interaction in general in Pioneer. And also, I feel like the tokens are like have value. Like a lot of the decks in Pioneer are aggressive, and like when you talked about that mono black deck, you listed a bunch of two ones and one ones, and so like Hordling Outburst is actually like a reasonable card that you can use defensively. Okay, uh, Sam or Caroline, do either of you have any roasts to send at Benjamin for this one? What the heck? Yeah, I mean, Ben's deck sounds pretty, pretty weak to, uh, pretty weak to Walking Ballista to me, like, and, and Abrupt Decay, honestly. Um, it sounds like it would be very good against people who don't know what's going on, like, if you just tap out and then you go, end of turn, raise the alarm, untap, you're dead. That's great. Yeah. I would also be concerned about your Thoughtseize aggro deck matchup. Whatever, man. Just block with one ones. But 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 it does kind of look to me like just sort of looking at these, uh, looking through these deck lists that the way the format might end up shaking out is the Field of the Dead decks can beat up on the Thoughtseize aggro decks depending on how well the Field decks tune themselves for the mirror. The more cards they have for the mirror, the worse they're going to be against Mono Black. Um, 
and then the combo decks can kind of be a wild card to beat up on the field decks while losing to the Thoughtseize decks. That's kind of like my initial read. And then the, I'm not exactly sure how the Devotion and the the Elvish Mystic deck Mystic decks fit in there, but you know that's sort of something to be determined. Okay, let's talk about other uh, pillars of the combo archetype. Nexus of, Nexus of Fate, making its exit from Standard and entrance into Pioneer here. Uh, how is that deck doing in this format, Sam? But before you start, Sam, we do have to make sure we're not too loud, because Matt and Ass might come in if we bash the deck too much and yell at us. Yeah, I've had several... I would describe them as very frustrating conversations with Matt and Ass over the last few weeks where he hasn't really played any pioneer but he keeps asking if if nexus is busted because he has this like version of nexus in his head that for some reason is unbeatable he played it in the mocks he streamed it with uh, bk and they went o three 3 against mono black aggro so you know <laughs> well they went o three 3 against mono black aggro and then they wrote is nexus busted <laughs> yeah so maybe nexus is busted but uh, it's definitely good against Field of the Dead. Like I, I played against it with I played against it with Field of the Dead, and it felt really tough to win because you're not that fast at establishing your zombies, and you have Thoughtseize, sure, but you know it's not the fastest clock in the world. And and they 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 get to play with Dig Through Time, which is a really messed up card and really really good at finding the combo pieces you need. That's I think one of the things about these combo categories is they are often going to be. Uh, going to be heavy on um, heavy on the delve draw spells. I think that's sort of the the way the format has shook out thus far, the, that seems like the place to abuse the the draw spells. Right. That was our, our first one of the first big things we talked about a couple weeks ago when we did our pioneer intro episode was uh, those delve draw spells and this definitely looks like a great home for them. So yeah, Nexus has picked up Dig Through Time, which is obviously huge. Still a Wilderness Reclamation deck, although they get to play with Castle Vantress now, which is a really, really good card for making sure you don't run out of gas uh, in long games. But otherwise, it kind of is still similar to the standard, you know, the old Nexus deck. You get to play with, like, Sensor, which was, I think, was that around with the old Nexus deck? Maybe it wasn't. I don't remember. No, it it was. It was. was. Yeah, Matt Matt played it in his Worlds deck. Um, So, you know, you get to play with... Kind of all that stuff, sensor, hieroglyphic illumination, like those are still just really good cards that are pretty effective in a, in a combo deck like this at you know helping you dig for what you need or disrupt your opponent a little bit, um, and then you go way far over the top of anybody. I heard I think uh, a little bit of disagreement from Caroline on the Castle Vantress front. Perhaps was that what that sound well, was about? I watched Matt stream the Nexus deck, and often he would scry to like he he was being productive with the card but he would just keep a nexus on top and then play the nexus and then fizzle and then scry again and then keep a nexus on top and eventually he just wasn't able to do that anymore <laughs> yeah it is tough that unlike search for his content doesn't actually draw you cards um so it's possible you still want a mix of those effects hmm. all right another uh, combination pillar here we have is Possibility Storm, or as somebody wrote it into the document, Possibility Storm. Uh, what is this deck's strategy, Sam? So Possibility Storm is a slightly old card. It's a 5-mana enchantment from Dragon's Maze, and it has whenever a player casts a spell, they exile it. Uh, sorry, casts a spell from their hand. They exile it, 
then exile cards from the top of their library until they exile a card that shares a card type with it. Then they cast that spell without paying its mana cost. Um, I don't actually know how the possibility storm decks win. I just know that what they're doing with this is using adventures as cards that count as creatures in all zones except when you cast them from your hand. So they can use that to cast... Oh, they ca- sorry, they, they do that for Enter the Infinite. That's right. So you cast... You get a possibility storm into play. Then you cast an adventure spell, which casts Enter the Infinite for you. Uh, I think you put back Borborygmos Enraged, then cast the creature half of your... Um, of your adventure spell, and then you cascade, you, you know, instead of casting that, you play Borborygmos Enraged, um, and then you shoot all your lands at them. Very cool. Very cool yes. uh, kill there. So that, that's a pretty, a pretty neat kill, and the just sort of the engine of Possibility Storm into, uh, you know, in, into these adventure cards seems pretty neat, and... Possibility Storm is also nice because it kind of protects itself once it's in play because no one can actually cast the spell they intended to cast. Yeah, w- once it's in play, it seems like getting it like getting it past the Thoughtseize window is the the difficulty. Definitely, I think. Yeah, I think that's that's the big the big thing that you have to do. Um, but once you once you succeed in that, it you know you don't. It's it's not like the kind of combo where you have to worry about jamming your enchantment on turn four because they can blow it up you just you just jam it out there and then it's probably fine mm-hmm. okay uh benjamin any thoughts on any of these other combo decks that aren't ben's stupid deck or any combo decks you've thought were exciting that we didn't get to cover oh no i'm gonna continue working on ben's stupid deck that's that's like my modus operandi okay yeah hopefully i, I mean it, it's we're past kind of the the wild west of magic deck naming when they would put ben's stupid deck on coverage like now they'll just call it something else but um Man, back in the good old days, we might we might have been able to to get that to be the official deck name. Okay, I and mean, they still call we still call things check pile, right? Yeah, and uh, like ants. that's kind of reserved for legacy, though, isn't it? Yeah, like, legacy has like ridiculous deck names. Yeah, yeah I guess that's Nick true. Nick Fit and uh, the other, you know, Canadian Highlander or whatever. I don't remember. No, it's not Canadian Highlander. Canadian it's Threshold. Not. Canadian Threshold is the deck. Anyways. Let's talk about white decks. And white decks uh, in the format are preceded by, or I guess succeeded by, uh, three question marks. So w- what's happening here with white decks? Do they exist? I have not seen a white, like a base white deck that looks compelling to me. I've seen, you know, mono black aggro splashing white, and that's fine or whatever. But it does seem like there should maybe be something there. I just haven't seen any any white deck that looks particularly compelling. So I feel like maybe there's something there. Maybe the white cards are just too bad and that's not the right path, but... What about blue-white? Yeah, blue-white is okay. I think it's more of a blue deck, but there are a lot of really strong blue-white creatures. That's that's for sure. So that seems like... Uh, Martin Mueller yeah, played an interesting-looking was... blue-white flash deck. Spellqueller? Um, yeah, Sp- Spellqueller Teferi is like a really powerful interaction. Avacyn? Archangel Avacyn is really strong. So it, it does seem to me like they're might be a good white deck out there. I just haven't seen what it looks like yet. Draven Inspector. Draven yes. Inspector. Love the sound of that. Uh, how Raise. about any, like, Eldrazi Displacer, Eldrazi decks? Benjamin, I know that this is something that, like, do you, do you think there's any space for, like, a Thought Not Seer, Reality Smasher kind of game plan? I don't know. Those cards weren't even that good when they were in Standard. Yeah, they were okay. okay. But Without a way to, like, pump them out? There might be some, like, Eldrazi Displacer combo nonsense, maybe. Because it is a card that is like has combo potential while still being a pretty powerful card on its own, but 
I wouldn't hold my breath. Yeah, I kind of think without a land that taps for two mana, Thought Knots here and Reality Smasher are just pretty fair. Okay. Yeah. Charging Monstrosaur? There's, there's a land that taps for two mana. Is there? Shrine of Forsaken Gods. Mm. Okay. okay. Uh, thank you. Thank you, actually, girl. <laughs> I actually put my finger up. <laughs> um, all right, Caroline, uh, any, any decks that we didn't talk about today that are interesting to you or that you played against that you thought were worth mentioning? Um, probably not. We did play against a white-black zombie deck. Didn't okay. do a lot. But it had white and black zombies. Well, it had it had a card that's interesting to me. It had Rally the Ancestors, right? Which is a really, really potent effect. And and you know that's the kind of card that is really good at going over the top of Field of the Dead Control, for example. Um, and maybe against mono black, if you you know if you have good enough creatures to gum up the ground early, you might be able to get you know there might be something there. Okay, Benjamin, how about you? Any any any. Thoughts on Pioneer? Any, anything that you like outside of Ben's stupid deck? I haven't played very much of the format yet. Just all in on Ben's stupid deck, then. Cool. Well, you know, I gotta gotta try it. Gotta get the failures out of the way. That does uh, sound like the first. Wow, that describes so much of your life. <laughs> I was about to make that joke. <laughs> oh, You're right. You're right. I should have moved so on from you all while ago <laughs> okay um cool well i think that about wraps up our our little overview of pioneer the format as it is now who knows we may be back again next month doing the same episode with a completely different suite of decks uh depending on how things develop but i think it's a, a pretty good way to check in with with how the format's evolving and you know let us know if this episode helps you win a ptq this week we'd love to hear those sor- those stories in particular don't let us know if this episode has uh hurt your understanding of the format we don't need to know that um Anyways. Well, let us know who specifically helped you win your PTQ. True, true. Oh, man, I hope someone wins with indomitable creativity, and then it's just be like, wow, Ben is a genius, he's so smart, everyone else is so dumb. I hope someone wins with a Boreal Grazer. Ben, if somebody wins with indomitable creativity, I will eat an indomitable creativity. <laughs> oh, right. yes. Well, I wasn't planning on playing in these PTQs, but... You're not even You're allowed. You're not allowed. <laughs> Alright. I will make sure it happens. I'm very good at facilitating dares and things. Yeah, wait, Caroline. Yeah. Can you please play an Indomitable Creativity deck in all of the PTQs then? Uh, I'm free on Thanksgiving. We'll see. Is it better to ask her to play? I guess you want to play the deck and also, like... I guess it doesn't help to concede to the deck either, right? I think both Caroline and I would get utility out of watching Sam eat one, so... This is true. I do need a deck list, though, buddy. We'll talk after. Okay. And anybody out there who is playing a PTQ and runs into indomitably, Indomitable Creativity, know that there is some utility in conceding that matchup, just as soon as you know that that's the deck they're on. Um, if you're playing against the Mighty Linguini. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's close out this week's episode with a story from our friend, Benjamin. Yeah, so this story comes to you from a recent Grand Prix. Um... You know, I'm just hanging out in a circle with my friends, as as is the huge between rounds at a Grand Prix. And, uh, you know, some some young Magic player comes up and is like, oh, hey, like, you know, would you guys mind signing my playmat? Like, I've always been, like, big fans of your podcast or whatever. Um, and, like, obviously he's not talking to me, right? He's talking to some of the friends I'm in the circle with. You know, so they, um, they're like, oh, yeah, of course, you know, no problem. So they sign the mat, and, you know, 
obviously the, this person doesn't ask me for a signature. He asks literally everyone else in the, in the circle except for me, which is fine. You know, I'm used to that. It happens a lot when um, you're friends with people who are better and more famous than you at Magic. Um, but what was kind of brutal is that it, it, it then happened the next day also. Just on, on day two, like, I was also just talking in a group of people, and then it's the exact same person came up and, and got the signatures again, and I was like, God dang it. Have you guys told the story on the podcast when Sam and I and Matt were in a circle and someone came and asked to take Matt photo and then had Sam and I take it? And then I jokingly was like, oh, do you want Sam's photo? And he's like, no, I don't know who that is. Wow, that's great. That was a good story. <laughs> So if you see, so the moral of this story was, if you see Ben at a tournament, go up and ask for a signature, even if you just are going to throw it away later, because he, he needs it. <laughs> It'll make me feel good. <laughs> do I have to do that? No, you please don't. Okay, I do have an important question. All right. Because I was on this podcast, do I get some of the Patreon money that I gave to the podcast? Mm, Caroline, no. are you impli- are you implying that we would? bribe anyone for an appearance on the podcast or no, I'm just, the podcast. I'm saying I should share of the content I created bribery is illegal look if if you don't well, want content us to post, is fine. Caroline if you don't want us to post your content you can issue us you can sue us and issue a, a copyright violation can I do that I came on your podcast no you certainly can't do that it's it doesn't make any sense at all which is why the person who sued Sperling for doing that is completely ridiculous what I do not sorry, I need to catch up on that story didn't, didn't actually sorry he didn't actually sue Sperling but he was like you know you can't post a quote of mine on a YouTube video I'm taking this down for copyright infringement or whatever insane uh, anyways Caroline we, we were happy to pay you for your appearance on this show uh, with three exposures so that this is a payment and exposure type thing. Uh, so congratulations. You may take those to the bank and use them however you please. Like you're going to, this is the first exposure and then I get two more? No, no, no. That's just the every time you Every time you come on the show, you get three exposures. Mm-hmm. What An exposure can be redeemed for coming on the show. Yes. Uh-huh. Wait, what? <laughs> Thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back next week with more Allied Strategies. If you were worried we weren't going to hit our nonsense quota, we really... I was in no worry of that. <laughs> we really we rallied the line at the end there. Plug, I didn't even get to plug my Twitter and get any clout. This is stupid. <laughs> you got three exposures. Yeah, where's my clout? You can use that. You can redeem those for one each for a social media tag mention. You don't do the, like, where can we find you at segment. That's what our podcast is. I didn't even get to plug my podcast. Okay. <laughs> wow, Caroline. If, if you, if, like, let's say hypothetically, if some audio were then edited in, or if, for example, we kept recording, how would you plug yourself for your for your personal uh, achievements? Well, on my show notes, on my podcast, which is FAM, F-A-M, colon, Friends and Magic, obviously I named it, um, we would talk about how I stream once a week at twitch.tv slash the mighty linguini and I'm on Twitter at mighty linguini and Instagram and the, the podcast fam so friends and question. magic wow that, that that's really exciting and we can find it on like iTunes and stuff iTunes uh, Spotify Are you guys it's, on Stitcher uh, that's okay I don't know what Stitcher is <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure but it's, it's uh, put on by my, my teammates over at Sogoy Gaming 
Oh. Swaggy. No, you couldn't even think what you call it. Tristan, are we on Stitcher? Uh, yeah. Sure. We're on you know, Anchor. I have a question. Why is there a discrepancy between your Twitch username and your Twitter username? Because there's too many letters, Ben. You know all about that. Oh, yeah. We do know all about the, the troubles of not <laughs> having that episode where Tristan is trying to, like, hey, guys, I need help. I can't get allied strategies. It's too long. And then who suggests, like, a longer... Was, yeah. yeah. Was, Neil, Neil, Neil was, was like, how about allied strategies MTG? <laughs> I but I think that it was, was a real suggestion, of, and it was very funny. Yeah, I believe that was one of the most funny things to ever occur on my podcast, <laughs> on, on our podcast. You can tell because Sam wasn't there. Oh, <laughs> what um. the heck?